Uh, the Weakest Link is a popular television program which first appeared on BBC some eight years ago. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, it features nine contestants who work together to accumulate money by answering general knowledge questions. At the end of each round, one person is eliminated until only one winner emerges and takes all the money. However, the most daunting feature of the show is not answering the general knowledge questions, but answering the very personal, aggressive and hostile questions from the formidable Anne Robinson. And the first question she normally asks people, if you've seen it, is, she asks them, what is your occupation? And then she uses this as an opportunity, uh, usually to make fun of them and to make a serving comment. It's been very highly criticised uh, in the press and other places as well. Uh, some time ago, a man appeared on the show, I've been trying to trace it on the internet, I don't have the exact details, but I know they, that I can surmise exactly what happened, or precisely what happened, or roughly what happened. Anyway, Anne Robinson picked up this particular man and said to him, What's your occupation? And he said, I'm a vicar. And she said to him, Okay then. Preach to me. Tell me what the Christian message is all about. Precisely and simply and briefly. To her surprise, he burst into song. It was made popular in the 60s, when I was around, by Simon and Garfunkel. And here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you will know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God bless you, please, Mrs. Robinson. Heaven holds a place for those who pray. Hey, hey, hey. Well, you don't want to hear any more, do you? But, um, it isn't the most precise theological statement of all time. But, given the circumstances the vicar faced, it was a pretty good response. And for once, it put Anne Robinson on the back foot. You see, at the heart of the Christian faith is the amazing love of Jesus. Not only more than we know, but more, much, much more than we deserve. And contrary to the game show, in which all the contestants except the winner are dismissed with the words, you are the weakest link, goodbye. Even the weakest link can find a welcome. Even the worst of sinners can find forgiveness. One person who knew this from personal experience was a man called Paul. And once he'd experienced God's love for him in Christ, in Jesus, he spent the rest of his life telling other people about it and writing about it in various letters which you'll find in the New Testament part of the Bible. In one of them, a personal letter to a very close, dear, younger colleague, he calls him his son in the faith, called Timothy, he shares how he still felt so grateful to Jesus to be given the privilege of sharing his love despite his previous record. So, picking up our own illustration, I want to share briefly, briefly for me, that is, if you don't know me, come to this church, uh, that his words are welcome news for weakest links. Welcome news for weakest links. To those of us this evening who feel and know that we are failures, not winners, 
And do we even fear that at the last judgment, God himself might say to us, you are the weakest link, goodbye. So I want to just read a few verses where he focuses on this in this letter. You'll find it in the Bible. If you have a Bible, you can turn to one of the Bibles in the pews. We're going to read half a dozen verses. And it's called 1 Timothy, because there's two of them, two letters that we have anyway. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. It's page 1191, if you have a pew Bible. It's on the screen, you can see where the reference is. Verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing, to me to his, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy, because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, what would Paul have said if you'd asked him to give you the Christian message simply and briefly? We don't have to speculate, for he gives to Timothy and to us a summary statement of nine words in English and in Greek, if you're interested of the Christian message. Here it is. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now today if you ask people, and especially if you ask theologians, why did Jesus come into the world, you'll get all sorts of answers. That he came as a political liberator, social activist, an ethical reformer, perfect example, and many more. Some are white the mark, others contain some elements of truth. But Paul focuses on one particular role that Jesus came to fulfil, fundamental, central to his mission. He says he came as a saviour. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he says, this is not just my particular take on who I think Jesus is. He says, this is a trustworthy saint that deserves full acceptance. J.B. Phillips paraphrases it, this statement is completely reliable and should be universally accepted. So it was then a kind of trustworthy saying that the Christians shared among themselves and when anyone asked them, what's it about this Christianity business? What, who is this Jesus? What did he do? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. At his heart is the word saved which simply means to rescue someone from a difficult or dangerous situation they are in. Think, for example, of a person who strays off the beaten track and finds themselves sinking into a quicksand. What does he or she need? 
Well, to be rescued, to be saved. And that, says our summary statement, is the reason Jesus came into the world. He came to save. Even before he was born, an angel told Joseph that the child that Beyonce Mary was carrying was conceived by the Holy Spirit and he gave instructions about his name. Matthew 1 verse 21. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because what? He will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means. Hebrews Yeshua, Joshua, Savior. And this rescue plan is aimed at people who are in the most difficult of situations, the most dangerous of situations, because they need to be saved from their sins. Sin isn't a very popular word today, but it's simply a word that means to turn aside from God's way and to go your own selfish way. When I was growing up, we were told that the middle letter, the center of it was I, putting myself first instead of God. And that bias makes us go our own way, not God's way. We are by nature sinners. And the consequence of that sin is that it brings increasing problems into our lives and says Paul in another of his letters, eventually will kill us because the wages of sin is death. We're in the quicksand. We're gradually going down without hope, without God in the world. So the reason Jesus came into the world was to save sinners. Now this is of the greatest relevance to everyone here, even those that have not met before. Whether we think we are the weakest link, or the strongest link, or I guess most of us somewhere in between, at the top end though, not the bottom end. Not one of us can reach the standard God demands. Again, Paul writes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Only Jesus lived without sin, so he is indeed the perfect example. But he is far more than that. Think again of the person in the quicksand. They're going down and they're shouting for help. And along comes a person walking on the path at the side and they say, this is the right way to walk, you know. It's not going to be much help if you're actually in the quicksand. You need someone to lift you out of it. And Jesus didn't simply come to tell us how to live. No, the reason Jesus came into the world was to save sinners by dying in our place, by taking the punishment we deserve, the consequence of our sin. Here are some more wonderful words from Paul, Romans chapter 5. He says, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless in the quicksand, no way of getting ourselves out, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the summary statement of the Christian faith. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now the question is, is it trustworthy? Is it true? Can Christ Jesus save sinners? Paul's answer is a resounding yes. He knows it to be a fact, not just from theory, but from his own personal experience. And so in support of his claim about Jesus and about this wonderful statement, he gives a telling testimony. After giving this summary statement of the Christian faith, he adds a little phrase at the end. Look what he says. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Of whom I am the worst. Now, all, all personal testimonies 
whether it's for great theological things or even silly things like washing powder or whatever, have a before and after. And Paul is no exception. He's just shared before this his previous record. Verse 13. He describes what kind of person he was before he experienced God's love for him in Jesus. He uses three words to describe himself. He says, I was a blasphemer. Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, as he was known in those days, was convinced that Jesus of Nazareth was a heretic. Thus he had no hesitation in speaking against him and denying that he was the Messiah or God's son. And not only that, he says he was a persecutor. He didn't just have his own opinion about Jesus and say, well, that's your opinion, this is mine. No, anyone who opposed his position, he opposed and sought to silence those who claimed that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, the Messiah. So he made his life's ambition to hunt out the followers of Jesus, to arrest them, throw them into prison, even to kill some of them. And in this he says, he was also showed himself to be a violent man. The word translated violent there is a very strong word. It means someone who finds delight in his own cruelty and inflicting it on other people. Someone with a sadistic delight in causing pain to others. A sort of Anne Robinson type with violence thrown in. And Paul says, that's the kind of man I was. That's my previous record. Then one day, en route to Damascus in Syria, to round up more followers of Jesus, he was struck to the ground by a bright light from heaven, and a voice that he recognized with the voice of God shouted out to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And he got a devastating answer. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. How surprised he must have been, and how terrified he was. Imagine all that he has done against Jesus and his followers, and now God has got him where he wants him. Jesus has him pinned to the ground, helpless. What will happen to him? Annihilation? A lingering and painful death? No, none of these. Instead, Paul says, he discovered that Jesus loved him more than he ever knew. Instead, he experienced the Lord's amazing love. And he uses two words to describe how the Lord showed his love to him. The kind of two sides of the same coin. The first word he uses is the word mercy. Now, now mercy means not receiving what we deserve. He says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. In Jewish law, if you acted in ignorance and unbelief, it didn't mean that your sin didn't matter. No, it simply meant that it could be forgiven, provided God was willing to do it and was able to provide a way to forgive. Paul deserved to be punished for what he'd done against Jesus and his followers. But instead, he says, I was shown mercy. He didn't receive what he did. But there's another side to the coin as well. He says he also experienced the Lord's grace. Now, grace is receiving what we don't deserve. He says, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Grace is a wonderful word in the Bible. It's not just what you say before your meals. It's God's unmerited favor that he shows to undeserving people. And, and Paul says, He didn't just show his grace to me. It was poured out on me. Now, one writer, John Stott, describes it like this like a river whose banks burst to overflowing. Now when we think of rivers whose banks burst to overflowing, we think of flooding and insurance claims. But think of a river running through a desert, 
few years ago, Nita and I went on a Nile cruise. It's an amazing experience. You're going through this barren desert and there's this green sway of the River Nile meandering its way down on this wonderful boat trip. And when it's in full flood, it overflows the banks and everything it touches turns to green, almost overnight, it seems. Now he says, God's grace was like that. He poured his grace into my life. John Stott writes, Grace overflowed, and faith and love sprang up. Grace flooded with faith, a heart previously filled with unbelief. And flooded with love, a heart previously polluted with hatred. So Paul experienced, he said, the Lord's amazing love when he was shown mercy, not receiving what he deserved, and grace receiving what he didn't deserve. Let me give you an illustration. You remember that wonderful story Jesus told? We call it the parable of the prodigal son. You know, you know the son, the young son who, who left home and he took the family fortune, his share of it, and he went up to a far country and he wasted it in riotous living and eventually he ended up in a pigsty eating the pig swill. And he finally came to himself and he said, I'd be better off back home as a servant. And so he made his way back home on that long and painful route. And a long way before his home, his father spots him coming and runs down the road towards him. Now, I, I want you to imagine that son there. Here's his elderly father who is abused, really, in wishing for his fortune. He's wished his father were dead, literally. What is his father going to say? Is he going to say, clear off? Don't darken the doors again? Instead, he flings his arms around him. Now, that is mercy, not getting what you deserve. But what does the future hold for this young man? Will he be consigned to the servants' quarters forever? Not at all. The father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on it. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost in his family. They began to have a great party and celebrate. Now that is grace receiving what you don't deserve. Paul the blasphemer, the persecutor, the violent man became a son of God and a servant of Jesus Christ. But he never forgot his previous life because it served to magnify the greatness of God's love. His constant testament, he writes here, was I am the worst of sinners, yet God has shown me mercy and poured out his grace on me. Notice he doesn't say, I was the worst of sinners. No, he says, I am. Maybe you could say it was exaggerating. Surely, Paul, you could find somebody who was a bit worse case than you, but though you were. But Paul knew himself. He knew the depths of his sin and the heights of God's love. So the summary statement, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, was no empty theory for Paul, but a living reality, for he adds, of which I am the worst. Truly a telling testimony of the Lord's love, for which he never stopped giving thanks. But he also tells the story for another reason, thirdly and finally. Here is an encouraging example. Look what he goes on to say in verse 16. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Paul says, God, God, God showed his love to me as an example for all who would believe and be saved and find that love for themselves. The Greek word translated example there is an interesting word. It means an outline, a sketch plan, a first draft, a prototype. Think of those identity pictures that the police group uh, produce when they're looking for a suspect. 
The artist begins with a basic outline of a face into which all the features of the possible person are added. You know, the skin colour, the hair, the eyes, etc., the nose, anything can be added to the model. It will fit anyone. Now, it's as though Paul is saying, my picture was the most difficult one imaginable for God to draw. And if God can do this for me, He can do it for you. C.A. Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher from the 19th century, preached to thousands of people every week in London. He comments on this verse when he preached it all those years ago. He says, If the bridge of grace will carry the elephant, surely it will bear the mass. Amazing, isn't it? If the bridge of grace will carry the elephant, surely it will bear the mass. Now, the conclusion is this. What about you? Do you believe that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? If so, has he saved you? You admit that you're a sinner who's fallen into this category. So he's saying that's the very first step to take. It's a very hard step, particularly for religious people who think that God marks on a curve and they're in the top half. And the Apostle Paul was a bit like that. He was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees classified everybody as either righteous or sinners. They and their other Pharisees were righteous, everybody else was a sinner. But Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And unless you see your need, you will not see any relevance about this. You maybe heard people singing this evening, you think, why oh, are jumping around, raising their hands, why are they so excited about it? It doesn't touch me in the same way. Have you ever understood the depths of your sin and the wonder of God's love? But maybe you're at the opposite end of the spectrum. And maybe you think this evening, well, it's all right for him to talk, but he doesn't know what I've done. He doesn't know the bad things that no one else knows about, actually, about my character. Well, Paul's testimony is this. If it's possible for me to be shown mercy and grace, then it's possible for everyone. If Christ Jesus can save an extreme sinner like Paul, then he can save anyone, including you. So the summary statement, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. I'm nearly finished, but let me ask you this. Have you accepted it? The word the Bible uses for accepting what God says in the in Christ is the word faith. That, that also is a word with two sides. The other side is called repentance. It means that the King of Eden turning to God. And the other side is putting a trust in Jesus and accepting what he did for on the cross. Paul describes such people as those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. And when you come to God in faith in Christ, he gives you a new life. The past is forgiven. You receive what the Bible calls eternal life. It starts now and lasts forever. The wages of sin, says Paul in Romans chapter 6, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you believed in him or have you been resisting him? Trying his unlimited patience. doesn't mean it will last forever. It means that God shows the full extent of his patience with us. It won't last forever. Let me say to me, this really is my concluding conclusion. Let's, let's finish where we began with the weakest link. The one thing the contestants don't want to hear is Anne Robinson say, you are the weakest link. Goodbye. Because then you have to do something. You have to take the walk of shame as you exit the program in front of everyone else. However, it's only a game when all is said and done. 
But one day, each one of us will face a far more formidable person than Anne Robinson. We will all face God on the day of judgment. And the welcome news for weakest links is that you won't need to take the walk of shame. And the reason is that someone else has already taken it for you. Let me not trivialize this in any way, but say with the utmost seriousness that the Lord Jesus Christ took the walk of shame when he carried his cross through the streets of Jerusalem and died on a cross outside the city walls. He bore the shame we deserved, took the blame for our sin, bore the wrath of God that we should have faced. And God accepted that and showed it by raising him from the dead. Now through faith in Christ alone, we can find salvation. For Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that's welcome news for weakest links. But I simply say, don't miss out. Don't fail to trust in Christ. Or you will have to take that final walk of shame. Dismissed from God's presence forever. If you know from personal experience that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, then like Paul you can respond in only one way. In praise, now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honour and glory, forever and ever. Amen. We're going to sing